Welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, go to PCAPaintEd.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all you non-members out there, sign up for our free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the Apple Store and Google Play. In today's podcast, we feature an episode from Ask a Painter Live with Nick Slavic. In this episode, Nick talks about his standards of procedure for stripping, prepping, staining, and varnishing exterior wood projects like front entry doors. Today, super nerdy show. All right. Um, we are going to focus on exterior fine finishing, entry door, wood entry door, garage door, fine finishing. We're talking stripping finish, staining, prepping, applying exterior spar varnish, marine varnish, yacht varnish. It goes by a whole bunch of other names. I'm going to share my standard operating procedure uh, about it. I got some videos. I've put together a great thing. Now, the problem with a show like this is that I cannot hear prep, strip, stain, and finish a door for you live. So what I did is I went through... 10 years of my videos and I archived every single step of the way. The things that I use to teach my own SOP, I, I put them all here for you guys in a nice tight little bundle. And I'm going to show you my way that I've developed over the years for this. It's going to be a fun show. Of course, thanks to our friends at Minwax, big partners of mine. I've been using their products for decades and it's unbelievable, especially for this. Uh, if you guys have not used any of their spar finishes, uh, their spar varnishes like that, um, go on super easy and the look like the dull satin, uh, their semi-gloss and their gloss, beautiful finishes. And I'm going to show you exactly uh, how I use those later. It's a whole bunch of different application method, methods. And uh, at the end of this, I'm going to show you one of my most viewed videos ever. It happens to be part of what we're doing today here. So, all right. Wow, we got people from Australia watching. Peter, how's it going, my friend? John Harrell. Before we get into that, though, um, we're solidifying up the calendar of events for the rest of the year. There's probably six or eight events I have, but they just haven't released some of them yet because they're still nailing down logistics. But I can tell you here, um, coming up quickly, um, Florida, Fort Lauderdale area. 13 August, a couple weeks away. I'm going to be down there in a soccer stadium giving some master's classes. Uh, my family's coming down. And then we are going to stay for a soccer game that night as well, too. That's going to be fun. So 13 August in the Fort Lauderdale, Lauderdale area. Uh, I'm going to have a link in the show notes here. You can contact the PCA. You can contact me. That'll be an event put on by our friends at Sherwin-Williams. Um, 19 August in Denver, Colorado. My good friend, Doug Imhoff, who runs a wonderful, wonderful uh, interior, fine finishing, high-end residential painting company there. Um, he's hosting me and Jason Paris in his shop. So that's going to be an awesome time. We're going to do master's classes, hang out, probably a dinner here or there. 19 August, Denver, Colorado at Doug Imhoff's shop. That's going to be awesome. Um, 23 September, Lake Elsinore, California with our friends at Surf Prep. 23 September, Lake Elsinore, California, at the Surf Prep facility with all the people you know uh, from Surf Prep down there. Um, some events I do I do want to put out here, uh, but we don't have specifics yet. Uh, 29th and the 30th in Nashville, Tennessee, with our great friends, the Kuipers of Harpeth Painting, some of the greatest people ever. Um, 29 to 30th September in Nashville. Uh, and then, yeah, there's some other uh, events coming uh, as well, too. But those are the ones that we're going to announce now. I really look forward to seeing everybody there. 
Um, and as always, this is the Ask a Painter live show. It's a weekly live show where I use almost three decades of experience in this craft uh, as a uh, master craftsperson and a business owner uh, to answer any of your questions. I can't stop looking out the window because the, the wildflower prairie and the crickets and the birds and everything, it is just absolutely beautiful. It's a picture perfect summer day here in Minnesota. So <clears throat> any questions you guys want to ask, feel free to do it. We are going to go nerdy. We're going to get super deep on exterior fine finishing. So the prototypical finish, or excuse me, the prototypical project for a finish like this is a front entry door, a wood door. Up in the upper Midwest, we have tons of uh, fur and kind of oak front doors like that, fur being the most predominant one. And nobody tells these clients when they buy these insanely expensive, super thick, solid wood doors that they need to be maintained, uh, especially your south facing ones that see water and rain. Uh, they might even need to be maintained every year. So I'm going to show you my process. Typically, we don't get those doors that are in perfect condition that just need another coat of varnish. When we get them, we cannot fix the finish. Uh, the bottoms of the doors usually get a little crispy, a little gray. The top of the door is perfect because it's uh, it's uh, protected. And then so really there's not, I've tried a lot of ways over the years and I can kind of doctor up the finish like that to make it look good, but it's never as good as when you just start over. So typically what I'll do is I'll strip the entire door and then start over. So I am going to do a screen share with you guys. And let's see here. Let me pull this up. Uh, the only thing I want you guys to be on the lookout for is if my audio cuts out, I have to do dual screens and then go in presentation mode. And sometimes when I'm not up, my audio kicks out. If my audio drops out or you don't hear me for a little bit uh, and you see slides moving like this, say something and I'll, and I'll fix it right away. So, okay, we got the screen up. We are ready to go. All right, guys, time to get nerdy with this stuff. I love this stuff. So... I've been using uh, the Minwax products for this for decades and they're readily available. They've never failed me. They don't do any weird stuff. I'm still a, a fan of kind of traditional oils, uh, traditional uh, solvent, traditional polyurethane, uh, things like that. Uh, things are moving to water-based. I like those too, but you know, uh, five years from now, everything we do will probably be uh, water-based or waterborne. But uh, for now, I still do a mix of water-based finishing, oil-based finishing, solvent-based finishing, things like that. And uh, the depth and beauty and ease of use of these things are, are amazing. So I will actually have a link to all these products that I use and that I mentioned in the show in this thing. And if you'd be a good friend of the show, just mention to uh, Minwax that uh, you heard it through me or uh, go and uh, peruse their stuff and give them a little business. Um, before we get into this too, one big ask, which is if you're watching, just share. It's just a button. Just hit it, share. Hopefully more people like us, like-minded master crafts people and paint business entrepreneurs will find this thing. Uh, that's my only ask of you guys, which is hit the share button, get it out to other people so we can get a bigger community going here. So, okay. Um, this is Ask a Painter Live 322, exterior fine finishings, coating, prep, stripping, and application. All right, so where do we use exterior fine finishing? Um, typically wood entry doors in my neck of the woods. Uh, we do a whole bunch of other stuff that can be furniture. It can be pieces of a house. It can be garage doors. It could be other stuff, but this is the prototypical use of exterior fine finishing. And you can see, I put a progression here through kind of like a semi-typical door that we have here in Minnesota. This is fur. This is beautiful straight grain fur. Some of it's veneer, some of it's solid, usually a mix on these doors. And, um, you can see the door all the way to the left is the door uh, for the client uh, before we got to anything. The next one to the right is a door where I've completely stripped and sanded and got ready for polyurethane. The third one 
um, this one right here, you can see my mouse is uh, one coat of, of, uh, of uh, satin uh, spar varnish. And then of course, two coats and then the door hung back up and you can see that beautiful, beautiful glow uh, coming off there. And I tell you what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna just make sure my audio is coming through here, everybody. Give me just a second. Just one second. I do not want to lose some of this audio here. So okay. Looks like we're good. All right. Other other uses for exterior fine finishing. This is a different one. Uh fiberglass doors. These are tricky, but with the right products, right standard operating procedure, right selection of stuff, they actually go really, really well. So you can see door all the way on the left over here. It almost looks like it's wood because the damage areas from sun and water are actually turning dark brown and then gray. But uh, that was just a weird um, uh, side effect of the finish. It's actually a fiberglass door. There's no rot. There's no decaying fibers, uh, things like that. So really what you have here is uh, when we strip this door and it has that tricky side light next to it that we can't take off the house uh, that we end up having to do in place, take the door off, strip it. And then we apply some gel stain and then we apply marine varnish over the top of it, just like that. So uh, super fun to do. But that's probably the second most common use in my company of like an exterior fine finish or a sailboat varnish. Then, of course, we can do uh, garage doors, things like that. Things that are of finer quality wood that tend to move less. You know, entry doors um, made out of wood will move a little, but they're not going to move like siding. So typically, like when you see this beautiful lake home, which we did recently, the siding and the trim up above is kind of architectural stuff. And we probably wouldn't use a, you know, a hard film forming varnish on there. It's a little too rigid for that. We would use it on a garage door, though, because those things, uh, the wood is sandwiched over a whole bunch of layers of plywood, MDF, this and that. It's very stable. It's almost a furniture, like, a, like an actual entry door itself. The siding, the lap siding and the trim needs to kind of breathe, needs to kind of move back and forth. And uh, the the spar varnish, the marine varnish, the yacht varnishes, uh, um, the helmsman, um, it is a little more flexible varnish, but it does need to move a little bit more than that. But the garage doors, you know, are sandwiched and they're, they're, um, uh, they're veneers and things like that, and, and they don't tend to move as much. But that's another great use of them right there as well. So here's my basic SOP. And this was sort of a process. Um, I have an internal SOP for this that lists, lists out a bunch of nerdy steps. There's a lot of science with kind of the, um, uh, the strippers and things like that. But this is something that I used to hand out to clients to help them understand actually what went into um, wood restoration, uh, a door restoration and a fine finish. This isn't one of those things where we pop it open, sand a little bit, slap some varnish on with a brush, slap another coat and move on. This is actually technically a very, very difficult project here. So uh, what you're seeing there again is the before, the strip, first coat and after. Um, but basic, my process is a multi-day process. And we developed a process where, um, of course, what we would like to do is take the door off, take it back to our shop and work on it at our whim. But the problem is, most people can't find a carpenter to put in a blank door or even secure the house. And if we were just to take a piece of plywood and screw it in over their entry door, fine, but that's not secure. Somebody could just kick that in. So we actually have not found a lot of, um, we've not found a lot of people willing to put blank doors in and let us take their doors. So what I did was I developed a system where we go to the house once a day, do a process, either rehang the door or make it so it's securable and then move on to the next one here too. So, all right. Let me check some comments real quick before we go too far. Give me just a second. Make it so it's secure. All right, there we go. Just making sure. Okay, 
Um, so basically, uh, we remove the door from the jam. I like to set it down flat on sawhorses. Uh, we strip all existing finishes. We sand smooth just lightly because remember, a lot of these doors are uh, veneers. And if you take a random orbital sander to them, you're, there's a good chance you're going to burn through them, things like that. Um, we give the client an option of applying a stain. And we usually do a stain sample to alter the color of the door. And then we apply two coats of marine varnish, Helmsman, over the top of it. And our promise to them is that we're going to rehang and your house is going to be able to be secured every night. And the key to that is usually taking out the weather stripping of the door where we can hang the door. We can shut the door, put the deadbolt in, but the door's not coming into contact with any of the rubber uh, weather stripping around there. So it won't glue itself shut or it won't mar the finish. There's actually then about a quarter inch gap between the jam and the door. And yes, you might get a little uh, cold or hot air coming through, but lesser of two evils. It's, it's the best you can do. So, um, we typically are always upfront and honest with our clients. You can see this, the fourth bullet, excuse me, third bullet point there, which is, you know, dog scratches, dark water staining, other defects uh, will likely be present after the restoration process. Um, when we're dealing with a 16th or a 32nd inch of wood and there's dog scratches through it, you can put fillers in, you can do all that other stuff, but you will never replicate that wood completely again. You will always be able to see it a little bit. We can mask it, we can make it better, we can fill in the scratches, but you will not get a perfect door. And that's probably the biggest hitch with these things is people have a lot of dogs with big nails on them and they're scratching and scratching and they want a perfect door after that. And, and it's very important as the master craftsperson and, and the, the estimator, if you're the estimator for a company, to set that proper expectation <laughs> and basically say, we can't deliver that. We can make it better, but we cannot deliver that without a ton, a ton, a ton of effort. So, um, yeah, uh, Steve Quillen. So the doors come off and the openings, all hardware is removed and reinstalled daily. That is correct. That is correct. That's what we do. And uh, I'm just always upfront and honest with people. Uh, minimum two days, maximum two to four days, give or take, somewhere right in there. Uh, three days is about right. Uh, two days is a really fast one that doesn't need much work, just kind of a couple coats of varnish here or there. But yeah, it's a process we developed. It's a lesser of two evils. Obviously, we want to do something different. We want to take it back to our shop, put it on a rotisserie and do our thing to it. But we're normally just the with the constraints put on by our clients, we're usually not given that sort of thing. So yeah. All right. So the prep. Typically what we do again is, you know, we have our sawhorses there. We, we set up a working area a little away from the house. We take the door off and you can see I put it in the shade here. Um, oh, Steve Quillen, what about the frame? Absolutely. Don't take the frame off the house. So we do the frame right on the house uh, while we're waiting for the door to dry. So, yeah, I like to set up a job site. You can see on this particular one, I went out in the lawn. I got the I put myself in the shade with another craftsperson. We got the sawhorses up. We got our tool lay, tools laid out. We put clean, white, lint-free rags over the sawhorses because we're not finishing the inside of the door. We lay that door down and then we can start our prep process. And you can see here, this is the door that this particular, uh, this is the frame, uh, the entryway that that door came out of. And obviously when we pop the door off, we drop plastic down over it, seal it up so bugs and, and hot air and things like that don't get into the house. You can see here the side light as well. I put a little bit of plastic around it. And uh, at this stage of the process, we actually applied a chemical stripper to it. And then we covered it with plastic to let it kind of cook in there while we're setting up the rest of the door. And then obviously you can see heavy canvas and things like that on the ground to protect any of the concrete. And then the stripping part. So this is the, uh, this is the part that's probably uh, got the most old wives tales about it, um, bad information, things like that. Um, I show up to one of these job sites completely agnostic to how this thing is going to work. 
I bring with me many chemicals, many tools, many forms of stripper. And I just sort of understand like the door wants what it wants. And a lot of times we'll do tests where we'll lay the door out and we'll try three little globs of stripper, cover it with plastic. And we'll just see five or 10 minutes later, which one works best and kind of figure it out from there. But my process is <clears throat> very intuitive. It's very simple. But if you do it wrong, you ruin the door. So uh, like with any stripping thing, it's not as easy as putting two coats of paint on like that. Uh, that hides a lot of flaws. It's opaque. Uh, you know, People with low skill can do it. This is something that actually does take a lot of skill to do correctly and well. So you don't repeat this process over and over again. So what we do is we apply the stripper. We let it dwell. We cover it with plastic to leave it wet to cook. And then we slowly move portions of the plastic back, scrape some of the finish that's come off. And then we, um, we scrub with steel wool and paint thinner. Sometimes we'll use water too, if we use a water-based stripper and things like that. But I kind of like the paint thinner. It doesn't evaporate as fast as water and other things. And it gives you a little bit of that solvent there to clean up the door. Um, it doesn't, if when we scrub like wood with water, it tends to raise the grain a lot too. So I typically like to use a solvent and paint thinner is kind of like the less hot solvent. If you use lacquer thinner, it evaporates right away. It smells really bad. And um, you don't want a whole bunch of that soaking into the door. So this is typically what our setup would look like during the stripping process. So you can see we tape the edges of the door to keep the strippers off there. And typically what we do too is we take um, one and a half inch blue tape and we put a couple lengths down the side jams of the door because if that stripper comes around the edge like this and you're taping just to the door, it'll actually creep on the back side of the door. So what we do is run the tape down past the door and it's almost like a drip edge where the door would be here and the uh, tape is here and the, the stripper comes on the outside and just drips down the tape. And if, and if a glob does come over, it goes right onto the drop cloth grass, et cetera, things like that. But then we'll slowly expose different areas of the door, keeping everything wet and, and stripping in that way. So a little video I have for you guys here. So you can see this is a beautiful home up in St. Louis Park here, Minnesota. You can see that tape draped down over the jams. I'm applying all the stripper right now. And I'm always, I'm always of two minds about um, masking the glass and not uh, during the stripping process. We definitely do during the finishing process when we spray. But if you mask off the glass, you might say, well, you're getting all that stripper on the glass. Doesn't it etch it? Doesn't it discolor? Doesn't it do something like that? And no, it does not. You got to wipe it off though. You got to clean it. If it dries, it's kind of a pain to get off. Now, if you put tape and plastic there, I've actually seen stripper eat through the tape um, sometimes even put some of those blue or green colorants in tape into a solution and sometimes even stain the wood and other things like that. So you got to be really careful with that. So typically my SOP when we just strip is to get some on the glass, but then we clean it with solvent, obviously not with the steel wool, but then it's, it's crisp, it's clean, it's ready to go. Um, worst case scenario, you put plastic and tape over that glass and you strip it. Um, clean the rest of the door, you rehang it, you leave all that plastic on. There might still be wet stripper underneath there that when you take it off the next day, it might still be there. So that's the process I use for that. You can see I'm applying all the stripper here like that. I'm applying two or three coats because it'll soak in, soak in, soak in. It'll start working. And then you can see I put the plastic over and I'm letting it cook for a few minutes. And what I did was the frame on this house was actually in really good condition. And uh, Steve, you just asked about this. So again, I plan my day really tight where while the stripper's uh, cooking, while it's, while it's doing something to the finish, I have another task all ready to go, which is the frame. Frame was in great condition. So all I did was an SVT, a sand back intact, just buff it a little bit. We're not removing finish there. It was actually intact really, really well. So I was just going to clean it up, get it ready for finish and uh, keep on trucking.
And then as soon as the frame is done, I go back, I grab my single gallon paint can, my putty knife, and you can see uh, I use the metal can because of the stripper. I expose an area, I strip some off, uh, and then each area by each area, you can see me scrubbing with that mineral spirits right there. Um, mineral spirits, clean mineral spirits, um, uh, steel wool. I scrub to get all the rest of that solution out of there. And especially in the little uh, crevices and the contours and the profiles. And then I use uh, clean cotton rags to soap up some of the sop up some of the juice on there. I put it all in a metal can and then I fill the metal can with water to render it inert. So, and then it won't be a fire hazard as well too. Oops, go back. Sorry, I advanced the slide when I meant to do other. So, all right, give me my little, there we go. Yeah, so planning these out and, and sequencing is very important because uh, if you miss a step or something isn't ready for you, you got to come back the next day. So again, scraping the finish off very lightly with that putty knife. And then as soon as I scrape it off, the wood and the stripper starts to dry. When it starts to dry, you actually have to reactivate the stripper. So that's when you scrub it with the steel wool, you make a slurry, and then you wipe it off with the rags, keep it clean. So you can see um, I'm then taking... Oh, Let's go back to this one right here. Sorry, it's time-lapse, it goes quick here. So now you can see I got my little scrapers, my dental tools, my pull scrapers, things like that. And what I'm doing is just cleaning those contours up because you'll get that slurry, you'll get those little uh, bits of uh, uh, stripper and finish caught in the little profiles. And yes, you can get them out when it's dry, but I prefer to do it all right now. So all you have to do is show up the next day and just rub a little sandpaper over it real quick, just to kind of buff it and open up the wood grain, things like that. But you can see just lightly going through the contours, getting everything set. All right, so when the door's ready to go, you're gonna have a bare wood door and then we offer the client the option to stain it. And the two main stains that we use are for wood and for fiberglass. For wood, we use the standard wood finish, you know, the tried and true, the, the standard um, uh, Minwax wood finish, uh, all those beautiful uh, solvent-based stains. Um, they give the wood a ton of depth and uh, it really works well with the wood. Um, goes on even and there's no, um, you can certainly use a water-based finishing system and they're fine, but I still like, uh, if you're going to use oil, I still like to use oil. If you can use water-based, I like to use water-based. You can intermix, but you can always run into adhesion issues there. So for regular wood doors, we use the standard Minwax wood finish stain. For fiberglass, we actually use gel because uh, there's nowhere for the stuff to penetrate. So wood finish is a thin solvent-based penetrating stain. Um, that will impart color deep into the wood. Gel stain is more kind of a half finish, half uh, stain, and it, it's on top. And the, uh, the, the finish in the actual gel stain allows the pigment to be there and kind of lay on top. It's, it's almost like a translucent uh, paint or a wood graining that you put over these doors, fiberglass. Because again, with fiberglass, even if there's grain, there's nowhere for that stain to soak in. So it'll just sit there and stay wet for a long time. <clears throat> Little staining video for you. Yeah, so you can see here we had a beautiful arch top wood entry door like this stripped down and you can see in the staining process, uh, this is an alder door. Uh, what we want to do is put the stain on and then immediately wipe it up. We're using a very deeply pigmented stain, so it dries a little bit quicker. So we got to start getting that off. If that stain dries, the pigment is going to be kind of stuck in there, and uh, it's not going to be uh, it's not going to be easy to get out. You actually got to use solvent to get it off like that. So that's why we work in teams like this. 
um, you know, use the gloves. We got the respirators, we got the cotton rags. And then of course we got our metal bucket down below where full of water, where the second a stain rag is saturated, uh, then we'll put it in that bucket. And uh, yeah, so it's not a fire hazard because uh, any linseed oil based or solvent based sort of rags that you, you put uh, in an enclosed area could spontaneously combust. And we absolutely don't want that. So that's one of, uh, part of our proprietary safety training actually for the company is that so you can see, we're trying to get as much of that stain off as we can. And then we slowly sweeten it up, look for the profiles. We kind of clean up the glass and things like that. Same thing with, uh, with the glass. It, it it's, it's kind of counterintuitive that we don't cover the glass during the staining process, but that penetrating stain will leak uh, and sneak underneath the uh, tapes, uh, even frog tapes and things. And uh, because it's solvent and uh, yeah, it can actually stay wet overnight. So we actually don't do that. We just use a solvent like a paint thinner to clean up that glass and give us a nice, you know, nice clean edge there uh, when we're ready. So, yeah. All right. So for the fiberglass staining, this is a fun thing. It's complicated. There's a huge art to it. Uh, I've tried to do lots of things. I've sprayed gel stain over these things. I've, I've brushed the whole things all at once. The way that I found it's the most replicable and trainable for somebody else is this. You actually mask off portions of the door like it was an actual <clears throat> wood door uh, and you brush each piece with the grain and then move on to the next one. So what you see here is a fiberglass door um, all the way on the left, fully stripped, ready to go. The second one with the blue tape right here. Uh, this one actually has, you know, the panels uh, masked off. I like to do the panels first, kind of work inside to out. Once the panels are done, you can, if you're very strategic about where you put tape in the process you do it, you can do this while the, the stain's still wet. This is not a dry overnight sort of thing, but we can do this deep mahogany on the door here. And then we can do the inner panels. Once the inner panels are all done, we'll do those large, large rails, uh, excuse me, styles that go between there like that. And then in the end, we do those final two rails like that along the edge. And that way you're not leaning over the middle of the door, things like that. Hammer Temple, how's it going, my friend? Good to see you. But that's fun. It's, it's super satisfying to see and to watch and kind of pick away at a door like that. It's lots of fun. So obviously the coatings, um, Minwax asked me to showcase some of their stuff. And it's really easy because literally Helmsman Satin has been my go-to uh, for decades. And it is awesome to use. Uh, the finish is unbelievable. It's just got this beautiful kind of low satiny um, kind of luster to it. And uh, it builds a super thick finish as well, too. One of the more satisfying things you can do is on a bare wood door, you apply a coat of the Helmsman, let it dry overnight, and the next day sand it, and it feels like polished marble. It just polishes and sands to such a refined level. It's just beautiful to work with. So yeah, that's typically what we do. Um, yeah, typically what we do for the finish. Uh, and there is also the new water-based version out there as well too. So we've been messing around with that, like that as well. And uh, of course, we're trying to convert our entire company over to water-based or waterborne finishes over the next couple of years. And I'm glad to see that the products we know and love uh, have water-based versions as well too. So this is this is the tried and true. This is the way that we do tons of this stuff. You can see I got my airless loaded up. We got a 310 tip, I believe in there from memory on this job. This is a wood door. It's been stained. You can see we're doing the edges first. Uh, three jams get uh, varnished first with the helmsman. The bottom, uh, I had somebody ask me uh, at one point, why don't we why don't we finish the bottom of the door too? Well, the bottom of the door actually has a weather 
uh, of rubber weather stripping that we um, that we mask off. And so you can spray a bunch of varnish on it, but you're putting sticky varnish, uh, slow drying varnish over rubber, and it doesn't really add any value. It can actually flake off later. So we prep it off and then don't spray the bottoms of the doors. They're typically sealed from the factory, give or take. So. All right, so you can see I always start away from me when I spray and just overlapping a little bit. Um, you don't need to put a lot of varnish on, so you can see how rapid my hand movements are. Just putting it right over there. Yep, beautiful. That's a beautiful finish, too. And what I like about this stuff, too, is it's kind of, it's, I wouldn't call it a slow-drying varnish, but literally within the hour, it's uh, it's set up enough where, I mean, it's not fully dried to the point where you can sand it, but you can definitely grab that door from the jams and rehang that thing. And that's what I like about this, where you get that traditional slow drying, like the durability and the beauty of a slow drying varnish, but it sets up quick enough where within the hour, you can be doing the jam, you can be cleaning your sprayer out, things like that, and then mount that door right back to the house. So Nick Wage, Unrelated question about job costing. How do you go about holiday hours, apply them to ongoing job or put them somewhere else? I'll get to that as soon as I'm done with this presentation, man. I love a good job costing question. So, all right, next slide. Uh, HVLP, we don't use much HVLP anymore, but it is a thing that I do. And uh, I, I know there's a lot of people out there that still use it. So I thought I'd show an example of that here. Uh, we're using a number three needle and seat. And again, you can see doing the jams, uh, side jams are done. And uh, top jam, I just hit it. And now you can see the pace is a lot slower and HVLP will put out a lot less product uh, than, a, uh, than a standard airless. And I'm strategic, strategically picking away parts of the door. I did the long rail and I'm going across the bottom now hitting those raised panels. And we'll go up and we'll hit the, uh... yep, here we go, going up, going up. You can see that beautiful finish being laid on there. Yep, coming back along that top rail right back down laying it on thick there love that yep i think the outside rail looked a little uh looked a little dull there like i didn't saturate it so i went back for another run but yeah that's it and really cool about this video too uh <clears throat> we were doing so many doors one summer i actually purchased uh i actually purchased a uh tent like one of those overhead awning things so yeah, that was a good one. With this door too, you can see me wiping the weather strip off. I could not get tape to stick to it no matter what I did. Tan, orange, yellow, blue, green, purple, whatever you had, I could not get tape to stick to it. So in the end, I just used a solvent rag and I just kind of wiped it off like that. So yeah. There's old Nick without a beard. <laughs> All right, so this is another version too. I thought I'd show you guys all the possible options here, which is, uh, this is a beautiful lake home on Prior Lake, and this is an awesome, awesome door. It's uh, straight grade fur, it's got two side lights. Uh, this one was pretty easy. I just needed a quick SVT and some recoat. Now, the thing is they actually wanted the inside done as well. So instead of taking the door off, laying it flat where you can't really finish the other side, I devised a system where we actually made a spray booth in the house in that entryway. We masked off the ceiling, masked off the walls, put hard floor protection down like that. And then uh, I typically never finish doors up like this. It's just kind of a lot of stuff going on and you have to mask off the inside of the house. But if we were going to mask off the inside of the house anyway, we basically open that door and there's like a eight by eight, 10 by 10 spray booth right there where you can see I do the outside here, weather strip things off, everything else. And we kick the door inside. And then I go inside and actually finish the entire inside as well, too, with marine varnish. So it was a really, really good project. And I thought that was a really, really good sort of iteration of what, what else is possible here in all 
I'll finish playing that for you guys. <clears throat> you can see standard airless. We got the helmsman running. And you can see the, the arm rate uh, goes a little bit faster because the airless will put out more product. So, and it, it is a little counterintuitive too, but I like to put the pressure up pretty high, if not max, when you're doing airless and varnish. Uh, it actually gives you a little more atomization. Now, it will also kick out a little more product. So you got to move your hand very quickly, like you can see me doing here. But if you turn the pressure down, it doesn't atomize as much. And sometimes you can get a thicker orange peely finish or with some slow drying finishes, you might even get a little pooling and then a sag or a drip, which you don't want. So it's kind of counterintuitive, but you can see, you know, I crack the door open right there. You can see the spray booth inside. It's pretty cool. And uh, I'm holding the gun much farther away than I normally would. I usually like like a good four to six inches with a rapid hand movement. I'm actually bringing it out eight to 12 inches with a rapid hand movement. So it's atomizing more, but you're almost misting and clouding that door with a nice 10 inch, 12 inch fan pattern when you back it out that far. And uh, this stuff is so slow drying. Uh, I shouldn't say slow, slow drying. It's slow drying enough where it'll get on the door and it'll start working together and laying out like that, which is really cool. A lot of fast drying paints and things, you gotta put it on really thick because it's gonna dry and skin off uh, really quickly. Oh, there we go back, go back. All right, we got our slow farm internet connection out here. So, all right, other exterior fine finishing projects. So I use a ton of helmsmen on outdoor furniture. You can see this is my pergola uh, out back of the Slavic house here. And there's this oak table that I made out of reclaimed ancient, ancient historic oak uh, framing and things like that. And I've tried some film forming finishes on it and they last a while, but I wanted something that uh, had a little more penetration and preserved the wood. So I actually switched my table over to uh, the tongue oil finish. Now you're going to get less, um, less life out of a tongue oil finish. It is a film forming finish if you put it on enough, but the spirit of tongue oil is more of like put one coat on every year, two coats on every year. It's almost like oiling a, uh, a butcher board where you don't put a thousand coats on, build a finish, and then it gets wet and it flakes off like that. This is more of a couple times a year, maybe in the spring, maybe midsummer, maybe spring and fall. You clean it up, you put another coat on, it penetrates, it enriches, and it preserves too. Um, Helmsman is great for this sort of stuff, but it is more of like a film forming stay on top sort of finish. It will grab the wood, but it's way more of that. If you do want something that's a little more penetrating, things like that, honestly, the tongue oil is super easy. And especially with a table like that, you can even pour a little on the top, wipe it on with a rag, let it dry for a little bit and you're back in business. It's a really, really super, super simple system on here too. So, all right. This is one of my favorite videos that I've ever done here. Um, this is probably my second most watched video ever. This is that entry door. And uh, it's very, this is like, this is tranquil for me. This is like the best of all the worlds here because we were near a lake. Uh, it was a beautiful day, just like this, mid-70s. The, the, the birds, the crickets, the frogs, the animals are gone. And it's a slight breeze. We're in the shade, dappled sunlight. And I basically get to take my, uh, yeah, my, my helmsman and my hog bristle brush and just slowly methodically work through these doors. And these doors had a lot of tight um, little windows, lights in those there. And there was actually uh, some uh, sealant that was squeezing out. So the tape line couldn't have been uh, as tight as I want. So I just thought, you know what, I'm just going to hand cut this door like this. And it's not a big deal. I actually, uh, when I do these sort of things, I like to saturate the, um, 
excuse me, the joint between the glass and the wood, actually get a bunch of finish in there, not, obviously not on the glass, but that'll actually seal that up and keep some of that water out of there. So I went over that squished out sealant um, and then had it penetrate back in there. It's a beautiful, beautiful finish there. But yeah, watching it soak in and slowly methodically working through these doors, um, for this particular one, it was, um, you know, I had, I always keep kind of spraying and hand brushing, uh, and things like that, all as options. And for this one, um, this door was very old, very crispy, and I really, really wanted to hand brush, uh, the finish on it to really fill in those pores. Cause you can lay on a very, very thick coat and the action of the brush actually lays off more of the finish in the actual grain. You're actually scraping the brush and the finish across the grain. And you know, where your grain is like this of your wood sticking up, you're dragging your brush and your finish across and you're actually like leaving more finish on these ridges and it actually levels out. It's actually a, a, a different looking finish than when you spray sometimes than when you brush on these doors that are really, really dry and need a lot of sort of saturation like that. But you can see me slowly working through this door. I'm picking off you know, first the little muntins there, and then we're picking out a style, give or take, and I'm just slowly working through saturating the wood and then just making sure there's going to be some instant dry spots, you know, where the wood soaks it up. And then there's going to be some that sits on top. And I'm very careful to even out that finish. So you kind of saturate it on there, get it in the wood, and you can see nice little finish strokes, just even that stuff off. You don't want any sags. You don't want any drips. You don't want any uh, shiny spots, things like that. Just giving it a nice, nice treatment. Um, this is really funny. This is one of the uh, most humbling experiences of my life. Um, I've gotten multiple painters who have said, listen, they've emailed me, DM me through Instagram and Facebook. And they've actually said like, hey, Nick, this is going to sound really weird. So like, don't don't think less of me here. But when I'm in the office, I've been known to put this on in the background because you can kind of hear the brush, you can hear the birds, you can hear the uh, bugs, you can hear everything else, the little bit of breeze. And it's almost like the ASMR stuff. It's just this like, if you're a master crafts person or a crafts person like me, um, this sort of stuff scratches an itch in you watching and listening to this. This is just so rewarding to, to do this type of work and boy. Yeah, just a delight. I don't want to stop watching, but uh, I also need to get on with the show. So um, I will leave that going here for you guys. Um, uh, let's talk about Nick Wage. Um, unrelated question about job costing. How do you go about holiday hours? Apply them to an ongoing job or put them somewhere else? Thanks, man. Yes, uh, that is not allocated to a job because you have to consider what is the goal of job costing? A job Job costing is so that you can actually track your profitability, yes, but also track your production rates as well, too. So if you have a huge Victorian house that's going to take two weeks to paint and one of them is over the 4th of July week and half your people are gone, it would be bad data if you put all their holiday time assigned to that job because they weren't actually painting on that. So the, the, the goal is six, seven, eight years later, if, if that house needs to be repainted again, 20 years later, if it needs to be repainted again, and you say, oh my God, this is great. I know how many gallons, I know how many hours it took to paint. If you put the holiday hours in there, that's not an accurate reflection of how long it actually took to paint. So we have our coordinator, Lindsay, who is a, a phenomenal person at this. We actually have a separate ledger for hours not associated with a project. So think about all this. Um, when we were in our infancy of job costing years ago, um, 
I found a fatal flaw in my system, which was our painters self-report the hours. You know, they, they punch in and punch out on their time station uh, app. So they get paid for the exact hours, but then they self-report the hours on the actual work orders, our jump sheets for each job. And nobody was doing anything bad. Nobody was like skipping out hours or fudging hours or anything, but there was a lot of time where they're driving between sites or they're having lunch on site, or uh, they finished up a little early and they cleaned out their van on site. And technically that's not painting. So usually we do not assign those to the job, but they weren't assigning them anywhere else. So I actually found a fatal flaw in my job costing, not actually the job costing, the process of collecting job costing, which was those self-reported hours for drive times and other weird stuff weren't getting reported. And there was one quarter many years ago where we had 30% of our hours that were getting paid on payroll were not accounted for on our work orders our jump sheets. So our job costing literally could have been between 10 and 30% off for every single job. And again, leaders are supposed to do pattern detection. And I was sniffing out like our job costing seemed very good for some of the stuff. Like it was fine, right? Like we do our job costing usually turns out really well, but this was really good. Like all our projects were just killing it. And I was like, listen, our people are good, but this feels like a little too much. And I actually went back through and I, 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 I compared the jump sheet hours to the payroll hours. And there was in some cases a 30% different between uh, what we were paying for and what was actually getting allocated to jobs. And, and again, nobody, there was no malfeasance. Nobody was doing anything illegal or wrong and they weren't knowingly do it. There was just one of those things like, Hey, I don't know where to put these. So I'm just not going to put them on the job, give or take, or I'm just not going to record them, give or take. So yeah, you want only the hours associated with that job. Uh, whoever is there painting it because you want a, a written solid record of how much actually went into that job. I love those nerdy job costing questions. So, all right, folks, um, again, kindest thing you can do here. Uh, I know it's Friday, it's July 29th. People are getting off work. Uh, they're going to do fun family stuff, things like that. Um, for the people who watch this, please, biggest favor to me is uh, just share the show. Just share it, just hit share. It's the kindest thing you can do. It doesn't take much effort and it would mean the world to me to do that. Um, also, Really cool. Uh, I just got a notice from Facebook that all those coins are, excuse me, stars that everybody's been sending me, they actually got monetized and I have a check waiting for me. And as promised, uh, I'm going to do something creative to give back to the viewers of Ask a Painter Live. So in a future show, I'm going to make a big ask of you guys, which is how are we going to use these things? I'll, I'll tell you the amount. I'll show you how it works. Uh, open and honest, transparency, things like that. You guys are nice enough to send these stars and I'll, I'll make sure it goes back to the viewers in some kind of cool way. So um, definitely, definitely, um, I'll be making a big ask and see we'll crowdsource. We'll crowdsource some solution for giving back these uh, stars, this money to the actual viewers of Ask a Painter Live. So that's coming too. Also, let me go in and recap the events. Um, 13 August in a couple of weeks, I'll be in a soccer stadium in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Uh, there'll be a Sherwin Williams event. We'll do master's classes. There's actually a soccer game after if you guys want to hang out for that as well, too. So uh, with any of these things, I put links in the show notes, but you can contact me. You can contact the PCA. You can follow those links. Just tap somebody if it's not intuitive on where to go, what to do, how to sign up, how to register. Denver, Colorado, um, the 19th, August 19th. 
Uh, I'll be going to my friend Doug Imhoff's shop and we'll be doing master's classes with a bunch of awesome people there. This is going to be a cool one. Jason Paris is accompanying with me and we're taking our Laurel and Hardy show on the road and we'll be talking about the professionalization of the industry. And uh, for those of you who've never met Jason, he is one of the most intriguing dudes you'll ever talk to. So uh, Lake Elsinore, the surf prep people, California, 23 September, uh, we'll, we'll be having an event there as well too. Uh, Nashville, Tennessee, 28 to 30th of September. Uh, with my friends, the Kuipers of Harpeth Painting. Uh, yeah, and there, if there's anything else you guys need of me, you know you can always email me. Uh, anything there, Nick Wage. Um, definitely, you probably have my email address. If you got any other questions about job costing, that is a thing that I love to absolutely nerd out on. And uh, we had, uh, <clears throat> every winter I do a series of mastering the basics while everybody's businesses are a little bit slower, they have a little more bandwidth. Job costing is always the big number one. It's it's what I believe would change our entire industry. And uh, I'm feeling like we should maybe do a refresher show one of these days too, because it's been about six, eight months since I've done a job costing show. And it might be nice to kind of like, you know, um, do it again, just a mid-year refresher or something like that. So uh, at this point, I'm ready to shut the show down, but honestly, there's two more rails and a style left, uh, excuse me, one rail and two styles left. And I feel like if I cut you guys off right now, watching this door, that would be a little, uh, that'd be a little rude. So I will take this time to basically say, um, boy, there's been a lot of changes in my business as well, too. Uh, I wear about eight different hats. Uh, I have assumed uh, a very, very emphasized um, uh operations manager role. Uh, I've been experimenting with it over the last six months. Uh, my big goal is trying to figure out how I can, how, with my hours, with my labor, with my effort and my thoughts, how can I provide the most value to my company? And uh, honestly, right now in this, it's the operations manager. And the operations manager, at least in my company, how I define it, is the interplay between the technicians, apprentice, craftspeople in the field, and the leadership team, usually the production team. And um, Within that, I've devised a plan for the next six months that I call active leadership and active planning, where I have a one page document where I define what an active leader, a crew leader does on site, what an active project manager does, what are the actual things they can do to make sure the client is happy, the crew experience is amazing, the jobs go well, no callbacks and a profitable job at the end, beautiful finishes as well too. And honestly, you guys know data plus feelings. I absolutely love getting back out in the field and doing this stuff. I've been strapping the bags on. We've been doing stuff together, historic restorations, trim, cabinets, woodwork. I was even in the shop this morning uh, with one of my craftspeople, Tate, and we just did a quick turn on a set of 44 doors and drawers uh, on a kitchen. It was fun to do that before leadership coaching this morning. Um, but one of the interesting things is I wanted to make sure that this time was actually being used well. And what I found when I crunched the numbers is that I inserted myself strategically into about 12 very difficult, very large, very complicated jobs uh, over the last six weeks. And I am 12 for 12 with those things getting under budget and having happy clients on them. So um, the data is there. It's a, it's a great use of my time and uh, it's good to have that sort of thing proven out where you're like, hey, I got this theory how I could make my people happier, get them big wins, make my clients happier, but I wanna make sure. And when I did a redux um, uh, of all the jobs uh, that, uh, that, I, that I touched over the last time and, and worked with all my people as a team on, because it wasn't just me, it was them as well. Uh, the results were absolutely amazing. So yeah, this is definitely the way going uh, forward. And uh, also for anybody who's gonna see my 
um, apprenticeship part one and two master's classes. This is going to be an addendum to it as well, too, because you guys know every time I give these, I update them with the most up to date data and info from my company. So I basically just brain dump. Here's the things that we're doing. Here's the data flowing out of it. Here's my new thoughts. Here's what I'm thinking two to three to five to 10 years down the road. And it's a super fun thing to do. So. All right, folks, that is it. The door is finished. I'm picking bugs off. And uh, this is an awesome show. I love nerding out on this stuff with you guys uh, after the show, even when we're not live, I'll be answering any questions you have there. And uh, it's going to be a, an awesome time, folks. I really appreciate you watching. Follow Ask a Painter live. Uh, share the show. Uh, share the show if you can. And uh, let me pull up my big screen here. Yeah, I appreciate everybody watching. This is... Um, one of the coolest things uh, uh, in my professional life, which is it connects me with so many awesome people in the industry. And I've learned so much over the years. So personally, I just want to thank you guys. This is awesome. I love hanging out with you. And uh, yeah, we're doing Friday shows now for a while so I can reclaim my weekends with the family. So all right, everybody, have a good rest of the week. Have a great weekend. And we will see you guys next week. Painted podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and is made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPaintEd.org.